This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello all. Welcome to another episode of Armchair Cricket Podcast, a podcast focusing on test cricket by Armchair Critics of the Game. I'm your host, Ajit. In today's episode, we have a special guest helping us look at the Sri Lankan cricket games as well as cricket from within the Sri Lankan island itself. So welcome to the podcast, Devi. Hi, Ajit. It's good to be with you on your show today. I uh, found Devi while browsing through his, uh, his Twitter timeline and I'm a big fan of his articles as well as uh, Cricket Machan magazine. I think uh, he contributes or even runs the magazine. Tibi, do you run the magazine? Yeah, I do run the magazine and thank you for your very kind words. No, always we are uh, we are happy to you know discuss about anybody who's as big a fan of cricket as I am or bigger, you know. I think you have the same passion for cricket that I do. So we are always happy to have uh, guests like you on the podcast. First of all, before we go into the games that we have planned to discuss, what brought you to Cricket TV? Uh, well, I grew up in a city where, I mean, there weren't too many TV channels and uh, I, I don't belong to the majority group in the island, so I speak the minority language. And there weren't too many TV channels that, I mean, broadcast programs in my language. So the only thing I could watch on TV was cricket. So I grew up watching cricket and I fell in love with it. Nice. And any specific heroes uh, while you were growing up, maybe? Well, for in any Sri Lankan kid, uh, I mean, I'm a 90s kid, so it's obviously Sanat Jayasuriya. And then, of course, uh, during my teens, I started marrying, you know, the likes of Mahasangakar and Mahila Jayavatan. I mean, they were the stalwarts of Sri Lanka cricket, I mean, throughout the odds and probably uh, during, uh, during the early part of the last decade as well. So they were the ones. And then later in my life, I started uh, really admiring Lasit Maling and his, you know, tactical acumen. Uh, it took a bit of a time for me to, you know, appreciate Lasit Maling's brilliance because you always knew that you know, he was a very good bowler. Uh, but to appreciate his ability to think and his cricketing brain, it took me a while. But I mean, I think it was after 2015, I really started, you know, trying to pick uh, his brain out. And when I did that, I realized that, hey, this guy is one of the most intelligent cricketers to ever played for Sri Lanka. So. Those are the cricketers who I grew up admiring and I still admire. Nice to hear. We'll probably get to it, but I would also like to hear your thoughts on the current generation of Sri Lankan cricketers and maybe why they are not as successful as their forebearers. But we'll get into it slowly. So before we get to it, let's first take a look at the New Zealand-England tests. Uh, were you able to follow the first test and maybe the second test that started yesterday? Uh, not really. I mean, I have been. I, I did follow the first test on cricket, so I couldn't actually watch it. But uh, I couldn't follow the second test matches yet. Ah, that's all right. So, look, the first test match was a very topsy-turvy game where you know there were yes. a couple of very crucial events where New Zealand came back twice, and England outdid them by again coming back twice. But they were the ones that were able to uh, finally win the game. But I thought you know that uh, dismissal of uh, Ben Stokes, that no ball that uh, reprieved him. And then uh, for him and Joru to build that partnership, I think if Ben Stokes had been dismissed at that point, the, that was the end of the game. And that was such a such an over where they lost three wickets New Zealand when they batted with Stuart Bart bowling. That was one point as well. And Ben Stokes' dismissal, this was the second point. But 
very well matched uh, game i mean the way it started the first one one and a half days you thought this is a two day game or something right but uh, luckily yeah. uh, they found the depths both the teams and it, it turned out to be a fantastic game that just finished you know fourth morning but these are the sort of games we really live for as a test match fan something that i always say test matches like a boxing bout where there is give and take and there's uh, multiple rounds you can you know you can almost compare every session to a boxing round and so on and you look at the second uh, test match well again new zealand were inserted they were asked to bat that was a surprising uh, choice by ben stokes given that he won the toss and uh, it looks like it was a wrong one as things stand because they were not able to really make much of a breakthrough england because um new zealand scored at a very fast clip so they were scoring at four runs and over in the first partnership already and even though they slowed down towards the end of the day they had like very strong contributions by the top four and then uh, they finished the day with the same two people who sort of rescued new zealand in the first test darrell mitchell and tom blundell they are both batting on big scores and they look like uh, they are set for a big 100 each so where do you see this test going tv uh, well i think it's interestingly poised uh, uh, i mean darrell mitchell and tom blundell from not wrong they had a very good partnership in the first test as well mm-hmm. uh, but i think it will be interesting because uh, this this seems to be uh, i mean this test has provided better batting conditions than the first test so probably i mean if if england can get a couple of breakthroughs in the first session and they'll be into new zealand style and if if england can bat on day 2 and day 3 i think you're once again looking at a very you know closely fought test match mm, yeah you're right so i think it will be a high scoring test match compared to the previous one for sure so yeah it will be like 400 plus 400 and maybe a quick finish at the end so i'm looking forward to a interesting tussle as well so just a word of uh, yeah promotion i sometimes go on guerilla cricket so if you go to guerillacricket.com you can hear ball by ball commentary and they'll start any time now so we are recording just before the beginning of the second day's play of course all right it's it's nice it's a nice way to follow the cricket as well so going further i think we come to the the meat of the matter here it's uh, sri lanka versus australia before we go into the games themselves what are your thoughts on the current generation of sri lankan cricketers uh, do you see them matching the expectations of the people back home where are they going from here what do you see changing well to be honest i mean uh, as far as the personal is concerned nothing much has changed i mean uh, there is this criticism that the younger players i mean the modern generation players are not as good as their predecessors but uh, from the way i see things i think cricket has changed it has evolved a lot and uh, even probably even had you know sanga and mahela been playing cricket at this point in time i think sri lanka would still be struggling as a team because the skill sets that are required to do well in cricket during the modern times have changed so what sri lanka uh, repeatedly does is that it keeps producing players who are you know with outdated skill sets so we don't get to play the brand of cricket that you need to do to survive in a cricket uh, in the modern day so i don't really think it's the fault of the players i don't really think that you know uh, the players that we have now are you know any lesser in comparison to players that we have ha- had in the past it's just that cricket has evolved and sri lanka cricket has failed to evolve with it uh, mm. and and the system doesn't seem to be changing either and as far as cricket is concerned sri lanka is extremely conservative they they are very traditional and old school and it can be an oxymoron now it might sound ironic that you know sri lanka has produced the likes of uh, uh, sanaj jayasuriya murali dharan lasit malinga who are unorthodox but 
I believe they came up despite the system or through the system because I mean, if, if you look at players who are, uh, you know, unorthodox, the system doesn't really allow them to thrive and the uh, system promotes players who are old school, technically sound, and which is why we see test players being picked into the T20 side as well as the ODI side and players who are capable of excelling in the shorter formats don't really give the opportunities they deserve. Uh, one fantastic example is uh, the likes of uh, Ashan Rantika and Lahiru Samarkand, two of uh, the biggest hitters in Sri Lanka, but they haven't really got a breakthrough. Whereas you find players who have excelled in first class cricket being parachuted into the ODI side or the T20 side. Uh, Patum Nisanga being a fantastic example. I mean, he was picked because he, he uh, averages around 60 in first class cricket and he is playing T20s for Sri Lanka. So this, this shows the kind of thinking that is prevalent within Sri Lanka cricket that they believe that by picking players who excel in the red ball format, they can succeed in the white ball format as well. So I don't really think it has anything to do with the players. It's just the mindset and the culture that uh, have led to this. Okay, but look, the the backbone of Sri Lankan cricket is always the club system, right? The club structure and the, you know, the school exactly. structure following that. Do you see that still being strong? I mean, there can be incorrect selections or selections with some... Uh, lack of foresight that can happen. But uh, do you see the system it, uh, being able to write itself in the short term? Uh, not really, because if, if you look at the school system, I mean, there is this popular belief in Sri Lanka that, you know, we have one of the best cricketing systems as far as the school system is concerned in the entire world. But if you look at Sri Lanka's record in the uh, under 19 World Cups, uh, we have played one final, but we have never won a World Cup. I mean, if, if you look at the last three tournaments, we haven't really made it to the knockouts. Uh, in, in, uh, I mean, uh, in the World Cup that was played in this year, we did comparatively better because the conditions suited uh, the skill sets of our players. But if you look at previous World Cups, we had to play played championship because we were knocked out of uh, the first round. So this, this clearly shows that the uh, school cricketing system is not really producing the kind of talents that we need. Uh, in fact, uh, I remember reading it on a Sri Lankan newspaper that until Mahela Jayavatan took over the under-19 uh, cricket team, uh, he joined the team as a consultant, if I could remember correctly. Sri Lanka cricket was picking uh, uh, players to the under-19 uh, ODI team based on their longer format performance. So the performances of players in the white ball format were completely disregarded. So the ones who were doing well in the white ball formats were not being picked into the under-19 team, but instead it was those who were doing well in, uh, in the longer formats. So this this shows why uh, the Sri Lankan under-19 team hasn't really done well. Uh, at the same time, if you look at Sri Lanka's school cricket system, I mean, uh, this can be a criticism about Sri Lanka's education system as well, because these are tightly coupled. Uh, it, it is centered around a few cities in Sri Lanka. Uh, if you look at Colombo, there are a handful of you know, English-speaking Catholic schools that were built by the British that still uh, rule the roost as far as uh, cricket is concerned. And then you find quite a few schools in Goal, uh, quite, quite a few schools in Kandy. And uh, these are the schools that dominate cricket. Uh, so we, we, we don't really see cricketers from across Sri Lanka uh, coming uh, into this system. Uh, there could be talented players, you know, across the island, but still the talent pool is still restricted to a handful of cities. So this is, this is one big reason why our school's cricket system is not of a very good standard. And the other thing is that, again, this traditional mindset. 
Uh, I remember Omesh Kalvitan saying a while back that, you know, school cricketers should not be allowed to play T20 cricket because it could ruin their technique. Uh, so this explains why we haven't been able to do well in the World Cups. If you, if you look at the Indian team, for example, uh, you have the likes of Ravi Bushna, who I don't really think would play test cricket, but he's an excellent limited hours bowler. Then you have the likes of Jaiswal, even Devdut Parikal, who have excelled in, in the IPL. I mean, they are very young. I think most of them would be under under the age of 23, but still they are able to do well in a tournament as big as the IPL because they, they get to apply uh, the skill sets that would be relevant in uh, the shorter formats. And we can't say the same thing about Sri Lanka because what happens in Sri Lanka is that you are taught test match skills and you are expected to transfer those skills into the shorter formats and that never happens. Within the school cricket system, our players don't uh, learn to play uh, limitless cricket. There could be, you know, hard hitters, but still the system could prefer run drafters who can bat long over those who can, you know, hit sixes. And it's the same thing with fast bowlers as well. Uh, in Sri Lanka, you prefer accuracy over pace. So there could be bowlers who could be able to bowl express, but they might not be picked. And it's the same thing with spinners as well. We see a lot of left arm spinners, a lot of finger spinners, but we hardly see any wrist spinners, even though that's slightly changing now. Uh, because, I mean, this system favors players who can excel in the longer format. And as far as the club system is concerned, again, you can uh, you can have uh, similar criticisms because again, it is centered around Colombo. So outstation players, players from uh, remote regions of Sri Lanka don't actually get to uh, take part in this system. Uh, and there are so many clubs, so the quality is diluted, even though there have been attempts made to change this. Last year, we had this uh, National Super League. Uh, I think we, we had it at the beginning of this year as well. So we will get a handful of teams. So some of these clubs are clubbed together to form one team and uh, you get around four or five times. I can't re uh, really remember the exact number. So they play at the highest level. So this makes sure that, you know, the quality is not diluted and it's concentrated. But until recently, around 20 odd teams, I think it's around 26 or 27 teams have been playing first class cricket. And this in a country of just 20, 21 million people. You are supposed to pick your test team from this vast pool of players. And that's that's a real struggle. And the other thing is the nature of pitches on which you play cricket. I mean, there was a recent T20 match, a club T20 match, in which teams managed to score only 36, somewhere on 36, and they lost nine because uh, it was a tight match. I mean, both teams entered on the same score. It was a low-scoring tight match. The reason was the pitch was awful. So... The pitches are so bad that, you know, hard hitters don't get the pace they require. The pitches tend to be slow, low, and it, they turn square. So even uh, finger spinners uh, manage to dominate batsmen, while when they play on good pitches, they really struggle because they don't know how to bowl on good pitches. But on pitches that you find in Sri Lanka, they can easily dominate batsmen, and batsmen don't get to, you know, play their big shows because it's tough to do that on uh, wickets uh, that, that don't allow stroke making. So when this is the case, you're not going to produce players who can really excel in, at the international level. And that's one of the major reasons uh, why we see the team struggling. Well, it looks like the, there needs to be an overhaul of the system. But the other thing I see is a lot of interference from, let's say, people who are involved with the government. And of course, there is this long-standing dispute, so to say, between whoever is the selector and whoever is the captain. Now, I think it's it's a bit more settled right, between the test match teams and the uh, selectors, so to say. But previously, we've had a lot of discussions coming out as well. Is this simply because the people who have 
played test matches led sri lanka and seen cricket played at different parts of the world have a different uh, different viewpoint because karuna ratna doesn't seem to at least we don't hear a lot of clashes from since karuna ratna has come in whoever was the test match captain be it mana angela matthews sangakara jayawardena attapattu even jayasurya for an, uh, to an extent they always had clashes with the selectors why is this do you think do, do you know if there is any way to define why this could be happening you know in sri lanka selectors are appointed by uh, the ministry of sports so it's the sports minister who gets to appoint the selection committee it's not the board so here you have a board that i mean you have a committee appointed uh, by a ministry and then you have an elected board and if they don't see to uh, if they don't see i to i tends in some being a problem a fantastic example of this is the appointment of ashan the dmail as the chief selector in chantika hathuru singh was the coach of sri lanka you know there are all kinds of politics there is board politics club politics and of course the real political interference so from what i understood uh, there were uh, displeasure over the way chantika hathru singh was handling the team uh, it wasn't uh, anything related to the performance of the teams it's just that people didn't want hathru singh to be the head coach of sri lanka so what they did was they sacked the co- sector selector uh, the chief selector and appointed ashan the dmail and it was obviously a political appointment and he was appointed as the chief selector with the sole motive of breaking down chantrika hathur singh's you know powers within the team so the first thing the selector did was to go after chantrika hathur singh hathur singh's favorite captain so chandimal was sacked chandimal was the test captain at that time he was sacked mm. malinga was appointed as the limited overs captain and that's that's when uh, actually dimuk karnaratna was appointed as the uh, sri lankan test captain chandimal was actually dropped from test cricket i mean he was the captain in australia and he was dropped from the test team it was said that he was being crested but uh, you know the all goal was to weaken chandika hathru singh's hold over the team so this is what happens uh, and of course there is club politics for example i mean there are allegations that dasun shanaka is the captain of the limited overs side because ssc wants to control sri lanka cricket dasun shanaka uh, plays for ssc uh, and there are people who push back against it Uh, for example there there is a group of people who don't want chanaka to captain because they don't want ssc to become dominant not keeping in mind the best interests of sri lanka cricket but there are people with self serving agendas who want to you know impose themselves on uh, the cricket team and the cricket board to get what they want it's 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 a bit disappointing to hear this because sri lanka has a very proud tradition and they won world cups you know and uh, well i hope you know these these problems can be overcome with somebody having a slightly more longer reaching um overview and not having clubs or even government interference where uh, all of these things should never be uh, should never happen if you were to look at it from outside for me uh, losing chendika hatharasinga as the coach was one of a big disappointments because he was very good and he was like a very evolved coach who was coached in different parts of the world and as you say concerted effort to bring him down by undermining the team he wanted the captain he wanted it's very disappointing to hear that but okay what happened in the past can't be changed but maybe we can try and move on if the government were to find the right kind of ex players with the right attitude who are not self serving but actually looking at the bigger picture of sri lankan cricket well i mean uh, the previous government uh, appointed mahalaje vatana kumar sangakara arvind disilva roshan mahanamattu it was a big complicated setup they had a national sports council which was headed by mahila jayawatna and there was also a technical committee that overrode some of the powers of the board so all of the big names were involved there but 
I don't really think involving these big names is going to solve any issues and uh, government interference in the short term, it might seem that it could actually help Sri Lanka cricket, but in the long term, it can end up doing a lot of harm. I don't really think there should be absolutely any political interference uh, in the functioning of the cricket board. I, I don't really understand even the need to have a ministry for sports because sports is just for entertainment, right? I don't really think the government should be regulating that. The only way to change this is actually to change uh, the constitution of Sri Lanka cricket. Uh, because that actually allows certain people to continue getting elected because it's the clubs that get to work, uh, get to vote and uh, there are somewhere on 140 clubs if I'm not wrong and some of them don't even play cricket it seems. So even they get to vote and what happens is uh, the ones that will get elected into uh, the board, they promise these clubs uh, largest, uh, it could be via money or something else. So they promise a lot of money. They uh, pump a lot of money into these clubs and they get to buy votes from these clubs. So again, I mean, uh, the system as a whole doesn't uh, really put the interest of Sri Lanka cricket first. So it's the interests of the club that, uh, uh, that are uh, primary as far as the current status quo is concerned. And uh, political interference isn't also going to help the cause because, you know, there is, there is no way you can assure that politicians would act in the best interest of the sport they will all have always have their agendas and what i have noticed uh, in sri lanka is that often politicians try to you know, associate themselves with cricket because cricket is really popular and uh, what they do is they try to engage in these popular stunts uh, they threaten players uh, there was a minister sports minister called Dayasri Jayasekra who openly criticized the fitness levels of uh, the sri lankan cricketers which actually evoked a response, a comical response from uh, Lassipani, who basically asked him to mind his own business. This is what politicians do. They don't really care about cricket, but they try to, you know, when there is a crisis, they try to exploit it as much as they can so that they can promote themselves and, uh, you know, increase their brand value. I see there needs to be quite a few changes or the way you say it. Uh, it sounds a bit depressing where, you know, votes are bought because there's a club system where there's voting and so on. So a lot of things may need to get updated or changed you know a strong Sri Lanka is very important for world cricket so we really hope these problems are sorted out and you know the best team that should represent Sri Lanka in each format gets to play irrespective of where the favorites of the board or the politicians may lie right so coming back to the games that we had planned so uh, when we look at the two Australia Sri Lanka T20s does the result surprise you at all not really I mean uh, the second uh, the result of the second T20 match surprised me a bit because I mean, it, it was closer than I thought it should have been, uh, but otherwise uh, the results were predictable right from the beginning. Look, you are right when you say it doesn't really uh, surprise anybody, but um, to see, you know, first game, 128 all out and then Australia chased it without any any wicket lost. So, yes. okay, the first game was like a complete failure of the middle order, I would say, because there was a strong start, but then from 3 for 102 or something, uh, th- nothing happened, right? So they just collapsed because they were they were even having the run rate. So at 200 looked on the cards at that point in time. So I also give a little bit of credit to Australia, the way they bowled, no doubt. But also it was a collapse from Sri Lanka, the batting. But when you look at the second, second, it was far closer. But what really bothers me is that the run rate still remained very high when Australia batted. So Sri Lanka, again, they looked like they could finish on 140, 150. They couldn't finish strong. In the last three to four hours, they lost a lot of wickets, like Dasun Shanaka and 
uh, one indu hasaranga uh, who were set gave their wickets away and then the, the rest of the batsmen fell away so but when it came to the batting they could never get any handle on the australian run rate but sri lanka has a very strong spin contingent you see that in place here look you always have great fast bowlers it it's not always visible in sometimes the stats but dushmanta chamira kumara you have a lot of good bowlers right and you have people like um, mahesh tikshna and then vanindu hasranga who are so if you put four or five of these together that's a fantastic world class attack why are they not able to perform at least when it comes to uh, bowling uh well, to be honest uh, they didn't bowl too badly because i mean if even if you take the first game the pitch was very good for batting uh dushpan chamir of course struggled against the australian batsmen and you don't expect the australian batsmen to really struggle against express pace and uh, especially on the slowish wicket uh, you find in colombo australian bowlers did bowl well but uh, i i think the lower run rate you saw with sri lanka uh, first because sri lanka doesn't really have batsmen who could you know score fast so i mean it, it can be difficult i mean uh, if you really get the score card you find australia scoring at a certain rate and you see that sri lanka's rate is uh not that high and the other way to look at it to see that the australian bowlers have managed to restrict sri lanka to a certain rate but sri lankan bowlers couldn't actually restrict australia to that rate there are two ways of uh, looking at this uh, but i would want to look at it from the perspective of the former that is the sri lankan batsmen couldn't score as fast as the australian batsmen did and uh, if you look at the first game i mean there wasn't too much on the board so i mean it would have been very difficult for bowlers to bowl uh, in such a scenario because you know there is no scoreboard pressure and uh, if, if you are a good bowler then what teams can do is they can just see you off and go after your weaker bowlers uh, but they did go after manindu hasranga and uh, i believe a bit they were not under pressure they didn't really mind losing their wicket to manindu hasranga they want to go after sri lanka's best bowler uh, which might not be a very you know bright strategy but it did work for them uh, in that match so i wouldn't blame the bowlers there Uh, i thought the game was less lost in the first innings the batsman didn't put enough uh, runs on the board uh, 100 120 of runs on that picket was never going to be enough even in the even in the second match where the pitch was not so easy to bat on again this 125 wasn't really big score i mean even though australia lost seven because they could still half and puff uh, to that score so sri lanka must have at least got to somewhere around 140 to 150 they were really short by around 25 to 30 runs in the second match in the first match i think they should have scored at least over 170 uh, 170 175 uh, so the reason why sri lanka actually couldn't do that was i mean you said that sri lanka got a good, a good strong start but if you look at the start they got they were really slow i mean they couldn't take on possibly the only bowlers who they could have scored off exactly look when you look at the odi that's played in india currently so in the first odi India lost the game to South Africa where even though they had made 2-11 in the first innings that was not going to be enough so uh, there were a couple of twists and turns in the game for sure India made 2-11 uh, thanks to some wonderful top order batting but then their bowlers were really not up to it and their spinners were attacked and you know their uh, finishing bowlers could not finish the game strong because we also dropped a couple of catches i saw Shreyas Iyer dropped a catch of um, Rasif Ander Dushan so when you look at it this seems to be the norm where uh, on south asian pitches teams are able to score close to 180 200 right so when you see this it puts it in stark contrast with how sri lanka are playing how do you rate their chances in the upcoming world cup if they don't uh, change their tactics and their thought process there are two important things here uh, one is that in india 
few fine smaller grounds in comparison to Sri Lanka. So Colombo has a very vast outfield. So that doesn't actually allow players to hit sixes easily. And Colombo also tends to be on the slower side. I mean, the pitch tends to be very similar to what you find in Chennai in the IPL. Tends to turn, tends to keep low, and the ball doesn't come onto the bat at a very good pace. So it doesn't really encourage, you know, the typical way of batting in T20s. But as we move, move on to Kandy, uh, today the T20 would be played in uh, Palekula in Kandy. And there you might see something that you can see in, you know, countries like India where uh, the run scoring would be high uh, because the Palekula ground is not a huge ground. It's a small ground. And the pitch also tends to be uh, something that's good for batting. And uh, there you can you can find a lot of pace on that picket. Uh, and Sri Lanka has historically done well uh, in T20s in Palekula because of these factors, because they can clear the ground. And the other thing is that the pitch uh, provides them uh, the pace to hit the ball. Uh, you don't find that in Colombo. And that's one reason I mean, since Sri Lanka plays most of their T20s and ODIs in Colombo, uh, they don't get to do that. Uh, that's uh, that's you could say one of the major reasons why you don't find uh, high scoring games in uh, Sri Lanka. Uh, but when you play cricket in uh, grounds like Pallekala or in Hambantota, they tend to be high scoring games, just like the games that you see in India. At the same time, the skill sets of the players also play a part. Uh, you know, Sri Lankan batsmen are not as skillful in T20, T20s as the uh, Indian counterparts. Even even if you uh, look, compare them uh, with other teams, you would say that Sri Lankan batsmen are not really up to the mark. I mean, if, if you make a list of teams that do well in T20s with the bat, uh, Sri Lanka would be at the bottom ranks. Okay. Having said that, I mean the last time uh, when uh, when the last time Australia played T20s T20 in Palekla, I think they broke the record for the highest. Uh, scoring an innings in T20. So you might uh, see some fireworks from them because uh, the ground and the pitch would allow them to actually score runs fast. Hmm. So it doesn't look good, at least the way this tour is going. The match starts in three hours time and uh, you're, you're actually uh, predicting a huge total for Australia and maybe some tough times for Sri Lanka. But we really hope, you know, as I said, Sri Lanka cricket needs to be strong. That's good for world cricket and Asian cricket. So we really hope they turn things around because, look, the other thing I see is they come up with these uh, amazing performances when nobody expects them. For example, that tour of South Africa where they won the series. There are enough examples. I don't need to go into Sri Lankan cricket uh, history to remind you of that, right? So I'm really expecting and hoping that there is this unexpected, again, the unexpected happens and they come up with these amazing performances to win the games. And I wish also Sri Lankan cricket going further that they're able to, you know, change a little bit the structure uh, get rid of these structural issues that you discussed. Th- this was a real eye-opener for me and maybe even many of our listeners because we were not aware of these internal struggles in detail. So I thank you for this sort of an internal you know, view of what exactly is happening with Sri Lankan cricket. So thanks for that. Moving on, if you were to take a quick look at the Zimbabwe versus Afghanistan uh, ODI that happened the third of the series. So there again, um, there were not a lot of surprises. I am very worried about Zimbabwe cricket as well because Afghanistan were able to comfortably beat them in all three ODIs and it there was clearly a difference in skill set. I don't know if you're able to follow this. I was also not able to follow it live. I was only looking at some cricket info updates or some cricketing set updates. But there was absolutely a huge gulf in difference in class. You could see that, you know, uh, the, the games were going only one way. All three ODIs that went that way, Zimbabwe are missing a few big players. But 
you expect them to compete a bit stronger that was not coming through with you know the t20 test series starting today there as well i'm really worried how it will go and uh, you know we've talked about it maybe making a two tier test match system as well where teams that can compete among themselves and get stronger with promotion and demotion with the world test championship could be one way forward uh, what are your thoughts on this tv speaking about afghanistan i think uh, they are progressing really fast in uh, limits of cricket uh, if you look at some of the players they produce i mean forget rashid khan but you have the likes of you know uh, noor ahmed zahir khan noor ahmed i mean he's only 16 or 17 but he played in the lpl i mean he was good with the bat he was excellent with the ball uh, i mean he was almost like a left handed rashid khan he was bowling quick and getting the ball to turn both ways they also produced the likes of you know asratullah zasai and uh, rahmanullah gurpas who are fantastic uh, he does the ball and they they uh, are producing players who can excel in the shorter format so i'm not really surprised that they managed to stream roll over you know zimbabwe in the series as far as zimbabwe is concerned i mean they are still uh, i mean they did play against sri lanka they even managed to win a game against sri lanka uh, but uh, if you if you look at limits uh, of cricket uh, you could say zimbabwe is at the bottom along with teams like sri lanka and bangladesh who haven't really cracked uh limited over cricket yet but afghanistan i think uh, you could argue that they are the third best limited over side in south asia right now you would say india is the best pakistan second best and i would say hmm. afghanistan is easily the third best team you might not be very far off from the truth on their day bangladesh are very strong but afghanistan are far more consistent you are absolutely right we wish that uh, this uh, balance is again back and there are four to five strong asian teams playing Zimbabwe for themselves have fallen a long way away from how the rest of the cricket world is playing so they need not only a overhaul of their system but also they need to start competing maybe playing in um, premier uh, odi limited over competitions in uh, different uh, countries where they get to participate maybe they can send a team to play in the south african limited overs exactly. domestic competition thereby they start picking up more uh, experience so a lot of things will need to change as far as zimbabwe cricket are concerned but again as far as the african cricket is concerned i dare say they may have fallen behind namibia right now right zimbabwe in the pecking order south africa namibia then comes zimbabwe for a strong african contingent in cricket zimbabwe needs to be strong as well so we hope you know they are able to come back and play strong again and uh, they are producing good cricketers as well if you look at wesley madivel and uh, there's rian bowl who bowls leg spin and he's a hard hit of the ball mm-hmm. and you also uh, have the likes of blessing musrabani so i mean they are producing cricketers but i think uh, where they lag behind the world is in that they don't really get consistent opportunities to contest with the best teams uh, because when they play against sri lanka what i notice is that i mean the last time they toured sri lanka sri lanka managed to beat them but Uh, when they toured sri lanka in uh, i think around 2017 they managed to actually beat sri lanka they won that series that was a very high scoring series and they managed to score 300 plus and they managed to chase down uh, scores in excess of 300 so they do have the players but it's just that they should be uh, getting opportunities at the highest level consistently clear enough let's see if they're able to turn this around moving further if we take a quick look at the pakistan versus uh, west indies series a couple of very interesting games the first one was a high scoring game and uh, there was no surprise babar azam hit another 100 and uh, pakistan were able to chase that down but the other the other advantage or the other thing that we got to see in that game was how imamul haq 
and babar azam set it up and then rizwan and kushdil shah supported babar azam beautifully and then in the end kushdil shah accelerated so they could actually win the game so that was a very nice thing to see look west indies don't have their um, let's say first choice 11 they are missing a few players and we saw that also when they toured netherlands they were too strong for netherlands but you could see the difference in class once they go to uh, play the likes of pakistan and um, that became all the more apparent in the second odi when you know the west indies did well pakistan were heading towards another 300 plus target or a total but then they got out the players for example they frustrated babar azam out then they were able to restrict pakistan uh, to under 280 275 was something you would think is chaseable on a similar sort of a day a similar sort of a pitch but then the pakistani bowling stood up the pakistani bowling who were probably sort of warming up into their task in the first odi second odi they completely came good so you saw lot of wickets mohammad wasim 3 mohammad nawaz 4 and shadab khan 2 and shahin shafridi of course made the initial breakthrough so it became a very one sided game so you see the top order experience missing as far as west indies are concerned as well as shamar brooks kyle myers and all of these have played nicholas puran is not standing up tv uh well to be honest what i have noticed with nicholas puran is but as soon as the ball starts turning he tends to struggle hmm. uh, even in the west indies let it be in the odis or t20s what i noticed was the moment the ball starts turning he starts struggling uh, so this is going to be quite a bit of an issue for the west indies because the next world cup odi world cup would be played in india where you might expect some turn from the pitches especially as he progresses and towards the end of the tournament but i mean at, at the top of the order they have got kyle mayers who is a good player spin shy hope handles spin quite well uh shama brooks i mean he did well i mean he averages in excess of 50 if i'm not wrong in his short career even though he's on the wrong side of 30 i think he's a very promising talent but the problem is you know they don't attack spin really well even though they handle spin really well they don't really attack them much if you if you look at the west indies top order you know even in the first game they managed to score only around 300 but it could have been a lot more than that at uh they you know accelerated earlier uh, so they were trying to lay down a strong platform and then launch from it which is uh which is quite all fashioned i would say and uh, this is, this has been the way west indies have been approaching odia cricket for a while even though their t20 style of batting is completely different they try to sustain uh, their attacking batting and they try to attack throughout the game they don't really wait till the end in odia uh, they haven't really still caught up uh, with mm-hmm. teams like let's say england I'm I'm not really sure if they should play both uh, Shai Hope and Sharma Brooks in the same level uh, because they both tend to be run crafters and you know both both of them tend to score at the same rate so I'm not really sure if they can afford to have both of them in the top 3 but again this is not their first choice level I think when, when if they can get players like Evan Lewis and Shibnan Hetmyer back Hetmyer is an excellent player of spin I think that would make their top order very strong and very aggressive and probably i mean we can see something similar to what we saw uh, in the series prior to the 2019 world cup when west indies locked horns with england that was a high scoring mm. uh, series west indies actually managed to beat england uh, so they they have got the necessary skill set they have got the players it's just a matter of them you know bringing them all into a team and then i think they would be a very competitive side in the odi world cup and they have got two good spinners as well akil hussain and hayden walsh right uh, so there is a lot to look forward to as far as this team is concerned yeah indeed i mean look uh, in yesterday's game i think the way the spinners bowled towards the second half of pakistan innings was very important in the way they were able to restrict them as well so a lot of kudos there in any case uh, this is going to be a very interesting series it's going to be closely fought 
there may be some top sitter with games where west indies may falter occasionally but they were competing in the first game so i expect the odi and then the t20 series to be closely contested moving on if you were to take a look at some of the news from off the cricketing field so india's uh, mithali raj who's uh, uh, probably a pillar of uh, women's cricket she's chose uh, she's chosen to call time on her international cricketing career we don't really need to discuss the achievements of mithali raj here but we wish mithali raj all the best when it comes to her the rest of her uh, life going further whether she chooses to do commentary whether she chooses to coach she's a real icon as far as cricketing in all of asia so uh, we really hope you know she continues to do the great job that she's been doing off the field now now that she's chosen to call time on her career going further pakistan sasnain uh, has been cleared so he has uh, remedied his action in such a way that it now falls under the expected um, expected norms so it's good news as far as pakistan are concerned and well he got he got himself picked in the 100 draft as well just timely do you think i think he will have to be a bit careful as well because you know chucking uh, in my view is that i mean in cricket we have uh, hard and fast rules regarding chucking mm. and uh, sometimes you know bowlers could accidentally end up chucking especially spinners so he will have to be very careful because if he gets reported again i mean that would be even more trouble for him uh, we have had you know players in sri lanka uh, getting re-reported again akhil adananjay is a fantastic example he has been reported twice if i could remember correctly uh, so mm-hmm. a change in action and getting cleared doesn't necessarily mean that uh, you will be all right uh, because i mean uh, players actions can change over the time right they could pick up some bad habits over the time right. uh, or maybe when they tire or when they bowl uh, at certain batsmen from certain angles they could inadvertently end up chucking so it's not as if they chuck each and every ball they bowl mm-hmm. even if they end up accidentally chucking one ball and if that gets caught they could land in trouble so it's not something that i agree with uh, it's i mean it's pretty similar to how bowlers end up bowling uh, front foot no balls right i mean peer players don't intentionally try to do that but when you don't get your rhythm right or run up right you end up bowling a no ball and you get penalized on the spot you, you don't put your career at stake but when it comes to chucking if you make one inadvertent inadvertent mistake uh, you don't get penalized on the spot you you have you will have to pay for it with your career so uh, it will be interesting to see how hasnes uh, career pans out now uh, and he has changed his actions or not really sure if he can bowl as fast as he used to so there is a lot of things to look forward to well you are absolutely right but you know at least i appreciate that pakistan cricket board is continually working with him he's a talent that can't be lost because look he already has a 5-4 in his odi career has a hat trick in t20 he's very young right i think he has a long fruitful career ahead of him so we wish him all the best and as you say you know uh, maybe not overwork himself but save his best for the longest format test matches right so that he is able to have a long fruitful career for pakistan with tests and win them a lot of games in series now going further the last of the news that we wanted to discuss is more of well the frivolity sometimes you see in uh, indian domestic cricket where mumbai have won their quarter final game by a mere 725 runs right i don't know if you saw this this is a quarter final game where it's a knockout and you can also qualify by having a higher first inning score so batting first mumbai uh, made you know 647 in the first innings they declared with a 250 and a 153 and then um when the opposition were all out for 114 they chose to bat on so they scored more runs 261 in their second innings so that gave that uh, their opposition a uh, target of just 795 
So you can imagine the opposition were not in the right frame of mind and they were 69 all out. So this is the highest winning margin in all of first class cricket. So they've actually eclipsed a 92-year-old record. The re- previous record happened in 1929-1930 season in Australia. And they've now overtaken that record to win by 725. For me, there is no point in really batting again, but they chose to. But what is important is with such a big lead, they did not simply go ahead and take the game on first innings, but they actually won the game outright. right? So, But on the other hand, if you look, Bengal in their game, so Bengal went uh, through to the semifinals, but they again scored more than 700 in the first innings, but then they just won the game on first innings a difference where the opposition did not even make 300 and they just won the game because they played out the last day by batting it out. So here, again, another record, Manoj Tiwari, who's a former India player, he has even made hundreds for India in ODIs. He is now an MP in his uh, region in Bengal and he scored 100 on the last day. Yes. So, you know, there's a joke there for me. I don't know if there are other sitting MPs who have actually made hundreds anywhere in the world. So this is a very rare achievement. I don't know if they if Bengal played on because of this. If they did, that's that's a bit disappointing for me because this guy has played international cricket and is now actually contributing to the society by being a member of parliament. I don't know if he's he was chasing this record where he's the one MLA or the one MP, the one uh, member of a legislative body who's got 100. So okay. are you in your knowledge aware of any other person? I think this can only happen in Asia, but are you aware of any other person who's actually achieved this record? I can actually think of two players who have played cricket while being uh, politicians. One player is Sri Lanka, Sanat Jayasri. I think he was an MP when he was still playing for Sri Lanka. And then uh-huh. the other player is Mastrafi Motrasa from Bangladesh. I think he was he was an active politician while uh, you know being a cricketer as well. Right. He is. You are absolutely right. No, but scoring 100 while being a member of a legislative party, yes. that's the point. Or yeah. taking a 5R for that matter. I don't know. I don't know of any other. So I'm also very curious. Was Sachin an MP while he was a cricketer? Or did he become an MP after no. he was. He was he was offered a, a membership of the parliament after retiring. It was an honorary position. He didn't win an election, right? It's not the case with Tiwari. No, Tiwari won the election. You're absolutely right. And Tendulkar was yeah. invited to take a seat so that he could contribute with his view and what he has learned in life touring right and so on so but no Tendulkar did not do that so I, I'm going to also request our listeners maybe they they know of some examples where somebody could have actually done this it could have also happened in another era you know 1900s 1800s where you are a member of one of the legislative bodies in your country and you still got to play active cricket and maybe made hundreds of scored uh, big runs and took wickets and so on so we would we would love to hear about this from any of our listeners. So that brings us to the end of our discussions. Before we let you go, we would like to thank you very much, Tivi. And would you like to plug Thanks so much, the amazing work you do with Cricket Machan and, and any of your other uh, social media outlets and other things? Would you like to plug them? You can read uh, the articles I write on Sri Lanka Cricket on cricketmachan.com. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter. I tweet at uh, Critic. And of course, I, I, I also have a tech blog, uh, the armchaircritic.org. Uh, so if you're if you are a tech person or someone who wants to read tech articles, you can uh, follow my articles there. We wish to have your company again at some point in time in the future. And we really thank you once again for that deep insight you provided into what is probably causing an issue with Sri Lankan cricket. Thanks a lot, Ajit. It was fun being on your show. 
perfect we also wish all our listeners a good day wherever they may be listening from bye bye this is the armchair cricket podcast